I have a two-year-old son. He has two older sisters. When he was about a year and a half, he was feeding himself just fine. He was doing great. But then his sisters thought it was fun to start feeding him. And so they started doing the trains and the airplanes and the cars with a spoon. And three weeks later, he thought he couldn't feed himself and would sit there with the bowl in front of him, waiting for somebody to spoon feed him his food at almost two years old. And he's perfectly capable of lifting the spoon. Well, this is what we've done in the church. We've created Christians who have to be spoon-fed material through Bible studies, videos, YouTube, and aren't capable of, they think they aren't capable of lifting the spoon to their mouth on their own. Hey, welcome to The Purpose Podcast. My name is Rachel. I'm here with my husband and our amazing guest today, Felicia Masonheimer. And we really believe that God has destined you for a purpose. He created you um, to be in relationship with Him and um, to love Him and worship Him and to help others do the same. And so we're here today uh, to learn a little bit more about how we can do that practically day by day. And we have our amazing guest today, Felicia. Uh, why don't you uh, introduce yourself? Tell us, tell our well, listeners just a little bit about you. Before you do that, Felicia, again, we're so glad you're taking this time with us. Make sure you like and share and subscribe. Oh, I forget about that. Really I believe do. that to uh, today, uh, I've already talked to uh, a lot of uh, our, our female leaders on staff who are thrilled about this. And so uh, I believe people are going to be impacted. So I really want to encourage you, uh, just get ready to share this with somebody. Mm -hmm. um, and so th this is going to be a really exciting time. Uh, Felicia, before you introduce yourself, why don't you tell us, the ways that you've heard your last name pronounced that weren't anywhere close, because because I tried to read it earlier, and what she just said is not what I said. So why don't you tell me some of the ways you've heard your last name pronounced? Well, let me tell you this first, that I was born, obviously, with this first name, Felicia, spelled P-H-Y, and I always hoped as I was growing up, that I would marry a Smith or a Brown or somebody that would make my name easier for people to say because my first name is messed up way more than my last name. But with my luck and God's grace, <laughs> I ended up with the last name Masonheimer. So people actually usually do better with Masonheimer, but I mean, we've heard they usually think it's two separate names, Mason and Heimer, and that it's hyphenated and it's not. Um, but they really cannot handle my first name. Like people figure out the last name, but the first name is Phyllis, Felicia, Felicia, Ooh, Priscilla. <laughs> it's everything under the sun. Phyllis isn't even close. <laughs> I uh, I did watch several uh, over and over again where you say your name, and just to make sure I said it right. I was I, I really stalked hard to make sure Good I job. got it together. That's so funny. All right, sorry. Inter tell us a little bit about yourself. Well, I am Felicia Masonheimer, and I am the founder of Every Woman a Theologian, which is a ministry that exists to equip women and families to know what they believe, to know why they believe it, and how to communicate it graciously to their world. A lot of times we have one of those pieces, you know, we know what we believe, but maybe not why, or maybe we know what and why, but we're really rude in how we communicate it. And so I think that 
combining all three of those things is what scripture tells us to do because that's effective evangelism. And so we really are an evangelism ministry at our core, but we use theology as the vehicle for that because that is what you have to do when you are sharing truth. You have to know what that truth is. You have to know where it comes from and you have to know why it matters and how it applies to life. So we get the exciting role as a team at Every Woman a Theologian to share resources. We have a podcast called Verity that helps us teach people to know why does the Bible say what it says? How do we explain it to other people? How do we make this accessible for people who aren't going to go into ministry or aren't going to go to seminary? Right. Yeah. I love that. And you um, recently wrote a book. Yes, it's called Every Woman a Theologian. And so it's really exciting to see that come to fruition and get to see a book go out in the world that bears the name of our ministry. And the book is great. So I've read the book and I loved how it really is accessible for anybody who said, hey, I want to follow Jesus and I want to understand this. There's so much to know about who God is. And there's a lot of different thoughts out there that can be confusing. And uh, for me, it gave me a great tool to give to people who wanted to learn more, just like you said, um, who aren't going to go to seminary, but want to understand there. And you have actually, there's some great other resources at Every Woman a Theologian outside of your book, not just for understanding you know, concepts like Calvinism and Arminianism, but also as a mom, how to educate your children. And um, so there's, and you have some new books coming out. So if you get a second and you can see these in the show notes, go to Everyone a Theologian, look at just the vast amount of tools that's yeah. um, been created. So, but Felicia, so this wouldn't be the easiest thing for you to do. I'm sur- sure there were easier things for you to do with your life. So can you walk us through like the birth of this? I, th- I think it's, it, you know, and for anybody who doesn't know what theologian or theology, the- theology just means thoughts, thoughts about God, right? So a theologian would be someone who has, we're all, we're all actually theologians, and so don't let that scare you. Um, but uh, so would you just walk us through a little bit like your journey of this being birth, this passion, this burden, this desire that it ended up you creating this. So why did you do it? I did not come to this really intending from the very beginning to start a ministry. It started very small. I do think that the Lord put a passion in my heart for truth very young and a desire to really know why I believed what I believed. That was something very personal to me because as I had friends who really questioned Christianity, um, friends who became atheists who back before we knew the word deconstruction, deconstructed their faith, I wanted to know why do I believe what I believe? How do I know that what I believe is true? And I think I just was always the kind of person who questioned things and wanted to know that what I was standing on was trustworthy. And so I actually had a career in higher education. I was a college counselor and advisor. I did it for my alma mater, and then I went on to do it independently, and I loved my job. But the degree that I got while I was working in higher education was religion or biblical studies. And I did that simply because I already had a career, and I just loved studying 
this stuff. I just loved the program. I was working at a Christian university and I had a blog on the side where I would break down Bible passages and break down how they applied to real life. And this was just a hobby. It was just something I did because I was processing these things. And then I got the degree because I thought, hey, this will help me. I already have a career, so I don't need to use this degree for my career, but it's something I enjoy. And now I look back and I see that it was the Lord's leading and the Lord's guidance into what he eventually would have me do, even though I didn't go into it thinking, I'm called a full-time ministry. I'm called to start a ministry. I think that calling is really a step-by-step process of, of walking in faithfulness with God. And that calling can change in different seasons. And then that season, my calling was to work in higher education. And then in my later 20s, it became to begin this ministry, which now we have um, one, three full-time employees, including myself, and then six or seven part-time employees who help us run everything together. And so it's a huge blessing. It's it's amazing to see what God has done, but I think I have maybe a little bit of a unique story. I don't know, maybe just in that I didn't set out to start Every Woman a Theologian. It's what the Lord led little by little, year after year, over the course of going on 15, 16 years. Wow. So why for you, you started to process and say, hey, I have this desire for truth. I want to help people understand it. When you were watching kind of the tapestry of the church, um, especially like you have a heart for women to understand the word of God, where did that come from? And obviously, which led to you starting Every Woman a Theologian, why specifically women and why specifically breaking thoughts down because you could have been an academic theologian really like you're educated you're all, you do a great job understanding the word and communicating it and you could have taken that any direction what is it for you that said hey these are the people I'm called to to teach and to love and this is this is how I'm called to teach it I love that question I think what drew me to doing what I do is I don't like anyone to feel left behind in the kingdom of God. I despise jargon words. So words that are big and make no sense and only only work in an isolated academic context. Like I might know what those mean because I went to college and I studied this, but the person who, who who didn't grow up in a Christian home, the person who's reading the Bible for the first time, and they don't know what consubstantiation is, and they probably don't need to for a very long time, that person is the one that I want to feel confident in what they believe. And I want them to know that as they grow in their knowledge of scripture, they also grow in their intimacy with God. I think we separate out theology and and relationship as if they're separate, but you can't have relationship with Christ without theology because it's literally the underpinning of, of it all. You know, what we know about Jesus is theology. And so I wanted women, specifically women, because oftentimes they think that because they're not going into seminary or they're not going to full-time ministry, there's more men going into that than women typically. They don't need to know this stuff. And what I've tried to make a case for is that actually you do need to know this because your your kids are going to ask, your coworkers are going to ask, your extended family, they want to know what about Christianity is compelling. And so I wanted women 
who are in those positions, lay women, to have access to the kind of knowledge that a seminarian would, but I wanted it to be at their level. I didn't want it to feel inaccessible or too much for them. I wanted to break it down and make it understandable. And so hopefully that's been accomplished, um, but that was my entire goal. I, I went to college. I saw all the big words and stuff that hap- that you know we need to use, but I wanted that to be available for everyday women who don't have time or aren't called to go to seminary, but need to be able to explain their faith to others. That's so good. And we were, we're really kindred spirits in this because, again, the, the whole vision is we want to equip Christ followers to win their world, right? Um, and so, and 60% on average of church attenders are women, right? And so to, to not get specific around that is just crazy. And so we absolutely love it. And then, Again, like our kids, because of how our time's set up right now, Rachel is the, I, I do Bible time and stuff like that, but uh, a lot of the the primary discipleship in this season comes from Rachel for, for our, our kids. And so for her, yeah, so I, I we couldn't be more on board. So, you know, something that you're passionate about is identifying, you know, people's existing beliefs about God's salvation and Christian life. And something that's, I think is challenging is, you know, people will go on YouTube, you know, to learn how to tile a shower or how, you know, Rachel goes on there and comes out with these crazy, awesome hairstyles, but it was, you know, it was 30 minutes of YouTubing later or whatever, whatever people might be doing. Uh, But there just seems to be an adversity to going and finding out what somebody believes about God. So like there's some blanket statements said about God that uh, people just receive. And I'll just name a couple, but I would, this is obviously a passion point for you. So I would love for you to push in on why it's important that people do that, not just rely on a pastor or somebody. But then if you give us some practical hows, and then we can, we'll bounce some questions from there. But, you know, I'm sure you're, you're even more involved in this than I am. But the more that we talk with Gen Z, you know, that the, there's this thought that, hey, homosexuality is not really a sin because that word homosexuality really means pedophilia. You know, then you look more in there and that, that's just, that's some clips uh, that, that started with some TikTok theology, right? And so there's more people who get it from there or, you know, that Christians are polytheists because they believe in the Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit, um, or that, you know, God hates people who struggle with transgenderism or, or, or things like that. That people just receive, and I know I just got like all the hot button issues right there. That's not what I'm trying to do. But people take these blanket statements from somebody online, whether it's just a TikToker or a guest on Joe Rogan or something like that. And I think that people are really, whether they know it or not, are really impacted by that because they haven't done some of the stuff that you're passionate about. So that 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 may just have you reiterate why you're passionate about it. But then, so talks about why it's important to know these things and like be able to be able to understand them and then start telling us a little bit about how you, how you help people understand them outside of reading every woman theologian. How do I figure that out? How do I even start unpacking? Like, what do I really believe about God and, and who he says he is? Mm. I think, you did bring up the fact TikTok theology, YouTube, people can go find all this information that is honestly often 
a new theology that's never been taught before in church history. And so to answer you, I actually have to back up a little and say one of the things that has caused a problem for the Protestant church, so the non-liturgical church, typically evangelical, non-denominational in America, is that we don't know a whole lot about our history. We, If you ask the average Christian, they could tell you a little bit about the actual Bible, but when it comes to the span of time from 33 AD to 1990, they can tell you very little because we're divorced from our history. And so we don't recognize when we're watching a TikTok theologian that what they're saying has never been held by the church in 2000 years and that their interpretation of scripture doesn't align. But if we don't know how to study the Bible for ourselves, and if we don't know how to ask good questions or even know where to look in in ancient church history documents or from the scholars that we have over the course of those years, we don't know where to look for that stuff. We don't have anyone in our lives who can help us. Then we end up going, oh, that sounds like a perfectly valid interpretation. And we don't, we don't even question it. And so for somebody who is starting out, the biggest primary thing is learning to study the Bible for yourself, which I'm sure you guys talk about all the time. Just learning how to actually break down a passage so that you are reading it firsthand instead of hearing from somebody else what this means. What's happened is, I use this example. I have a two-year-old son. He has two older sisters. When he was about a year and a half, he was feeding himself just fine. He was doing great. But then his sisters thought it was fun to start feeding him. And so they started doing the trains and the airplanes and the cars with a spoon. And three weeks later, he thought he couldn't feed himself and would sit there with the bowl in front of him waiting for somebody to spoon feed him his food at almost two years old. And he's perfectly capable of lifting the spoon. Well, this is what we've done in the church. We've created Christians who have to be spoon-fed material through Bible studies, videos, YouTube, and aren't capable of, they think they aren't capable of lifting the spoon to their mouth on their own because they haven't been taught or maybe they've atrophied and they don't want to do the work. And so as ministers of the gospel, any of us who are in ministry, our job is to train these people in how to break down the Bible for themselves how to follow cross-references, how to look at the context, how to look stuff up in commentaries, to even know who in history can you trust, who's adhered to the truth, and who do you not trust. And that's not to say, oh, only one denomination, but just, hey, who has stayed closest to the scriptural interpretations that the apostles held and who has walked away from that? And that takes a lot of time, right? And discipleship alongside people, which is why they need their local church. And you can't form your faith only on TikTok and YouTube. You have to have godly people in your real life to help you. So that's kind of like a long, complicated answer. But it's it's. It, I feel like you can't separate out biblical literacy from godly community, local church, all together to help these people. And that's something we're really passionate about as we look around our generation and then the upcoming generation is biblical literacy. Mm-hmm. Just the, we, they don't know the Bible. And um, of course, church history is this whole other um, level that we've just, like you said, divorced ourselves from. And it's heart-wrenching because we can 
see, you learn so much from history. Like you don't repeat mistakes if you just know, hey, they've already walked through this season. <laughs> we watch like there's a whole, you know, there's been revivals around this topic or, you know, Christian revolutions. And we're missing it even in our own generation because we're, we're separated from what our forefathers walked through. Right. And so I'm going to put you on the spot, see what you think about this. And then how we respond to this from I don't a like it when you do stuff place. On the spot. Well, <laughs> something about even saying Felicia's name just makes me feel sassy. So I'm, <laughs> I'm going to go with it. Um, but uh, so I was actually talking to my dad. You know, he's been in ministry for 40 years. And like in, my, in the Bobrian plan this year, you know, it's going through the ephod, you know, which is what, the, what the, uh, the priest would wear in the Old Testament. It had all the tribes' names on it. And I'm reading this. And I feel this doubt rise in me. And so like, which I think other people experience where it's like, man, this feels like other ancient religions, you know? And so some of that, right? And so afterwards I'm talking to my dad and I'm, and, uh, I'm like, hey dad, I just feel like, like millennial Z and then even, even alpha when we get to know him a little better, that there's, there's, more, there's more doubts. There's more, well, hey, what ifs? And, and I, I never want to be blind and so I was just asking him, you know, my dad's a boomer. And so I was asking him, hey, it seems like there's more doubt and why and questioning. He was like, no, qu-. he's like 100%. He said whenever he was doing ministry, like in my age, at my age, people believed that they were sinners and it was trying to convince them that, uh, it trying to convince them that they don't want to be, you know, that there's something better. But now we're actually starting from a different place of, trying to convince people that there is something called sin. And so I I feel like we are actually starting just culturally, which is fine. The Lord has prepared us for this time. You know, he's prepared people like you, Felicia, to help us in this time. And so, but we, we are starting at a deficit. And so even some of the things that we just talked about, church history, uh, the apostles never held this, some of that is still like pretty... Um, pretty advanced, right? So when you think about, okay, I've got this pretty, uh, like a low foundation to start. People love the Lord, which matters to you. People believe they're saved, which matters to you. But how do you start to understand the Bible when you have all these why questions? You know what I'm saying? Mm -hmm. Yeah. Well, I can also resonate with that. I've had seasons, moments where I'm reading something and I go, this is just crazy. Like, this is so crazy. I believe this. I I believe that somebody was born of a virgin and is the son of God and died and was resurrected. Like this is this is kind of wild, right? But I I embrace those questions and I have gone and I've compared it to other religions and I've looked at what they offer and what they say. But what I come back to over and over again and and this may be an encouragement to people who are in that position is only in Christianity is the problem of separation from God, which every religion really tries to deal with in some way. They might not use the term separation, but they acknowledge suffering or evil or, you know, something that's wrong with the world. Only in Christianity is God the one who makes the way. In every other religion, man has to make the way in some form or fashion. You've got to pray X number of times a day. You've got to go to this city. You've got to release yourself or empty your mind or whatever it is to get to that point. 
Only in Christianity does God come down to make it possible for man to walk with him. Now, of course, you could say, well, what about fasting and spiritual disciplines? Sure. But in Christianity, those are supposed to be a response to something that was given freely, not something that you do to earn this gift. And, you know, all of us are teaching and discipling Christians in that continually here on earth. When somebody has those doubts, I think I always say, it's, I'm glad you have those doubts and that you're recognizing them and you're pressing into them because it means that you care and that you aren't passive about your faith. And God himself said, I'd rather you were cold or hot. So you wrestling with these is a good thing. It means you're thinking critically. And that's exactly why God gave you a brain. At the same time, God's goal for you is not to stay in a state of doubt perpetually. His goal for you is to wrestle it out and then to find a place to land, cold or hot. And so there's this idea in modern era that we should just remain in a constant state of doubt, that that's just, you know, that's a sign of maturity. That's not biblical or scriptural, nor is it healthy. You know, even in other religions, you're landing somewhere. And so I would just encourage them. It's a good thing to wrestle. God endorses it. He loves that about you. Um, he wants to wrestle with you. He wants to be a part of that process. And then once you've you've dealt with that and found a place to land, then we can start building on some of this stuff that is a little bit more complicated or historical. Yeah, you know, I've never thought about something you just said. I've never thought that God, um, like loves our like loves our doubt. Like you just said, hey, God loves you. God loves that you doubt. Like He loves that about you. And I was sitting there thinking, do I agree with that? But there's some things that my kids do that aren't right, you know, um, that I, again, it's because I love them so much, it, it actually endears them to me. Our youngest, Valor, he's just wild. He's just wild, which is our fault for naming what we named him, Benaiah Valor. He's a crazy person. But so, sometimes in his, I've stopped jumping on the bed. Hey, we're not wrestling or whatever. And then I'll be laying there, not paying attention, and he just pile drives my back. He disobeyed, but then I find myself laughing because he wants to be with me. Like he, and so like I just, I don't know. Like that was that was a that was a pretty interesting moment. Even the thought that God loves me so much um, that even these things that are like these things like doubt, yeah, like that questioning he's, him, he still loves. Actually, I think he's proud of me. You know that that I because the reason I have doubt is in a pursuit of intimacy with him. So that's I think that's a great that's just a great thing you said. Well, and I love you know what's so unique is not just that Jesus died and was resurrected, but you get the Holy Spirit, and you don't we don't just come at the Word of God with just our intellect, which is great. Again, God gave us brains, but we literally have the person of God with us and uh, is our helper. So we can discern things that we may not even have. There are things you'll come up against and God can speak to you and tell you, hey, that's just, that's not good. And if we are willing to slow down and listen and receive from the Lord and spend time with him, not just it, like we'll be in the word and he'll speak to you through his word, even if you're not an academic. And I think for a lot of people who are listening, you're, it's overwhelming, like, gosh, the work that it takes to learn and to study. Um, but the word of God is meant to be labored over for your entire life. 
Um, and uh, we don't have to, and we don't have to understand it all right now. And God has sent the Holy Spirit to be with you um, in the midst of that. It just yeah. brings me, you know, I just have so much joy. Like, I'm so grateful that God loves me enough to not leave me in my doubt, to not leave me in my trying to understand, but he'll meet me mm-hmm. right where I am. He's so gracious. Yeah. Um, and you talk a little bit about the Holy Spirit's work in us when we read the word of God. You know, what are your thoughts on that, Felicia? Just like, hey, how is God an active role when you're studying his word? So the Holy Spirit, what I say about him is, He is the advantage of the Christian because another thing that we're seeing on the rise in this generation is things like witch talk and the rise of the new age, the rise of Wicca. This is not something new. Um, It's been rising for the last 20 years and you'll see it come through in popular TV shows and movies. Things like Outlander had a really strong Druid and Wiccan theme in it. Um, Game of Thrones, things that people were watching that really encouraged them into this idea. And then the rise of, of course, the New Age movement in more naturalistic kind of circles. And what the New Age movement attempts to do, because it's a counterfeit, is it attempts to mimic the Holy Spirit. It offers a counterfeit Holy Spirit. And yet so many Christians do not operate in the advantage and the power of their helper and their comforter because they think that the Holy Spirit is either some vague entity that they don't really hear about and they don't really know what he is and they call it an it, they call him an it, which he's not, or they grow up in a charismatic context, which is how I grew up, where they only understand the Holy Spirit in context of the sensational. So he only does these really big miraculous things or causes these physical manifestations that are, you know, wow factor, but there is no respect for his daily speaking to you, his daily guidance, that still small voice speaking through the word of God, um, sanctifying you into the image of Christ. That's his primary role is to help you daily become more like Christ. But that's kind of boring. It's not very flashy, right? That's the hard part. Walk by the spirit and you will not follow the desires of the flesh. That's the stuff that we're like, oh, yawn. But that is exactly what he came to do. And when you don't have respect for the spirit of God and how he speaks through the word of God, how he guides you in your actions, it's very easy for there to be a void. And I think that is why we see more and more nominal Christians becoming new age, buying into the new age, because it offers a power that they never participated in as quote unquote Christians. So if we don't teach on the Holy Spirit, we leave a void for the enemy to mimic because people desire to have that connection and have that power, if you will, that God gives us through the Holy Spirit and they will find it, but it won't be a Holy Spirit. It will be a evil one a spirit right so so let just again practically because I, I if people wouldn't listen to us very long if they didn't you know believe in or desire the holy spirit in their life so uh i would say the lion's share of people they uh either believe in or at least have some sort of desire for that around that how are you how do you in your life make like practical room for the Holy Spirit? Because that's part of it is making room. You mentioned still small voice. How are you making room? Because he, I, I do believe, like you said, like, you know, it, it is a daily walking with him, you know, 
dying to myself in Christ, nor I who live, but Christ who lives in me, that Galatians 2.20. It's that life of some of the yawn stuff. Love that phrase. But it is also the, you know, the miraculous, you know, that he wants to do stuff through us, but we we spend so little time letting him, you know, sanctify us or walk with us. So long story short, how are you practically making room in your life to be led by the Holy Spirit? That is a good question. That's a good question to ask repeatedly of oneself. <laughs> um, I would say the way that I go about this is number one, being in the word regularly. And that does not mean sitting in an armchair with coffee and my Bible open at the same time every day. Sometimes I'm listening on audio as I'm in the car, as I'm walking, but just exposing myself to the truth of God many different ways consistently. That's number one, because he uses that to speak to me and guide me to guide all of us. Primary, that's the primary. But the second thing is to to actually pray in a way where I both give my requests, but I also listen for his leading. I think it's really easy to give this litany of requests. There's so much to pray for, but to never stop and say, Lord, what do you have to say to me? Is there something that I need to change? And so, for instance, in the last couple months, there's been a specific issue in my life that the Lord has brought to mind when I'm reading the Bible, when I've prayed this prayer for him to speak. It's a character issue that he's working on in me. And I've been asking him, well, what do you want me to do about this? What do I need to change? What do I need to, where do I need to humble myself? And that is an area of him sanctifying me. I think sometimes Christians get overwhelmed because they think, oh, okay, I'm saved and I see all these areas for improvement and now it's time to get to work. Let me just start, you know, white knuckling it. Instead of saying, Lord, what do you want to work on? What is it that you see in me that you want to work on? Because he's a gracious God. He will sanctify you on his time and he'll show you what things he wants to work on. It might be your words. It might be your pride. It might be selfishness. He'll work on it little by little. He's not going to overwhelm you. And that's an example to me of making room for his voice and then asking him, what do I obey? Where do I need to obey? Getting godly counsel, things like that. That's super good. Okay, so with uh, we have a little bit of time left together, and I wanted to hear your thoughts. We believe that God has part of our role as Christ followers is to fulfill the Great Commission, uh, that God's called us to share what he's done in us, that our testimony is powerful and it's not just for us to walk in freedom, but that there are people around us, our coworkers, our family, um, our children who need to know what Jesus did and how it's changed us. And part of the ability that is first to know what we believe and why we believe it, but communicating it graciously is, and we even see, we actually, we've come out, we recently did a um, series both on the podcast and at our church on unity. And one of the things was like, gosh, we can't even in the church not defame each other and dishonor each other. And I have watched you with grace. You really do embody that saying, hey, I'm not going to defame anyone. I'm going to respond to some thoughts that are out here right now, or I'm going to encourage the people following me to remember like the fruits of the spirit are important right now, that you're loving, that we're peaceful, that we're patient, that we're long suffering together in the way that we live. And I hear so often that Christ was like, I want people to know Jesus around me. I just don't know 
how to do that. I don't know how to talk to them about Jesus. I don't know how to even make space for that. And there are just several things, both like theoretically, but then like practically that you have talked about that really make a way for people to communicate the goodness and the reality of God and um, making space for that to happen in and around their homes. So would you just share with us a little bit of your heart, like around how you've been sharing the gospel, how your home is gospel centric? Like talk to us, how can we be doing that in our own life? Oh, I love this topic. It's so exciting. It's so fun. First thing I always say about evangelism is that when I started out thinking about evangelism, I took an evangelism one-on-one class in college for my degree. One of the things that I had a lot of anxiety about was saying the right thing or bringing up the topic. I always felt like, oh, I don't know what to say, or this is really awkward. Like, how do I force this conversation? And what I learned is that when the Lord is leading evangelism, you will always have both the words and the opportunity at the same time. So if he gives you the opportunity, you will have the words. And if you have the words, you will also have the opportunity. And so you have to be walking by the spirit for this to occur. But this is why I just encourage pray for opportunities and be in the word regularly because then you will have what it takes. And the times that I've had the most powerful conversations, I don't even remember exactly what I said because the Holy Spirit brought to mind everything that had been put in for all of those years in that opportunity, in that moment. But one of the best ways, in my opinion, to build those relationships and not to like make a sales pitch, you know, but just to be in relationship with people who don't know Christ is to be willing to open your home. And we have lived in an apartment, a duplex with our landlord next door, a tiny 1200 square foot house, and now our farmhouse. And so there is no perfect home for this to be the case. It doesn't matter what your house looks like. It doesn't matter that it's perfect, imperfect, that it's Instagram worthy. What matters is that you are willing to open your home to people to see what it looks like for people to live in Christ. Because if you think about this, many of our non-Christian friends come from non-Christian families and they spend time in non-Christian spaces. When are they ever going to see what a Christian family looks like if you never invite them over, if they're never at your table, if they're never at your bonfire, if they're never around your godly friends. Inviting them in is a great opportunity for them to just be loved by you, but then also for God to open doors to those conversations and to give you chances to talk about deeper things. And you would be amazed at the ways that that happens. Oftentimes they're hesitant to bring it up because they don't want to offend They feel like they'll be offensive if they say something about the church or like, you know, no offense, but how can a loving God send people to hell? (laughs) I literally just last week had this conversation with somebody. I don't want to offend you, but so just understanding that evangelism can be so relational. It doesn't have to be street preaching. I would say probably most of the early church was that way, very relational. There were certain times when it was go and preach, you know, in this area, but it's mostly people who know people and invite them into their homes. Yeah. That's, I, that's the heart of evangelism. That's so good. I was, I was actually just reading recently um, in, in Acts 19, which is talks about whenever Paul's in Ephesus, you know, he got, he got opposition whenever he was preaching, which usually he just pushed through and they would stone him and whatever. But that time he pulled back and trained people daily in the house of, or the house of the whatever of Tyrannus. And it says, 
in two years, the whole province of Asia heard the gospel, which if I'm not mistaken, that statement is actually the, it's the biggest statement of his ministry. And he wasn't, as far as we know, um, and that's Acts 19, it's like nine through 11. But like in that moment, he wasn't street preaching. He was training people to do what you just said. And so, hey, let's do let's do something again. I'm going to put you on the spot again. It's one of my favorite things to do. Uh, and if I don't do it, somebody will do it to me. So I like to, you know, go ahead. So I'm going to, I'm going to give you some of the, I'm going to give you some of potentially the oppositions that people might have. And again, you don't have to go into like all this depth, but give me like, give me a response that would lead into more of a relational conversation. Does that make sense? So like, I think I'd love to start with the one you said, because I actually have this conversation come up with somebody on Saturday. How could a loving God, you know, see these natural disasters or rape or these things? How could a loving God let those things happen? Okay, so in this situation, there's a couple assumptions that they have, right? And that's the first thing I want to think with somebody who's asking this question. They are assuming that, first of all, God is somehow ordaining these things to happen. So that's, number one, an assumption about God's character. Number two, they're assuming that these things are wrong. So they have some kind of moral understanding of right and wrong. And those are the things that I want to pay attention to. But I want to pay attention to them not in a win the argument kind of way, but in more of a curious kind of way. So I would ask them a question back, which is actually what Jesus often did. If you look at how he interacted in the Gospels, he usually asked the question back to them. So I would ask, okay, I hear you, and I've wrestled with this too. Let me ask you this. Do you think there's anyone in history who has deserved hell? who has deserved punishment for their sins. Often they'll say something like, well, yeah, Hitler. Hitler deserves to be punished. Okay. So let me ask you this, if you don't mind. Um, why? Why does Hitler deserve to be punished? Well, what he did caused suffering to millions of people. Okay. So what is your definition of suffering? It's killing, murdering, lying, etc. Now they're defining their moral standard. And what can happen is as you gently, again, don't go into this like, I'm going to prove you wrong. Allow them to actually answer their own question. Because what we're pointing to is that they actually have deep down in their soul an innate desire for things to be made right. They have an innate God-given desire for what is wrong to be corrected. And so what we're ushering them towards is an understanding that, yes, these things are evil and God is going to make them right. And the way that he makes them right is through Jesus Christ. But in order for that to happen, for there to be unity with him, God is also going to offer people a choice. No one has to be separated from him. It's their choice. And so you're, you're kind of walking with them relationally. And if they start to get uncomfortable or defensive or it gets too, too you know, icky, I would pause it. Like, don't elevate the conversation above the person. Like, it's not about winning the argument. It's about just getting them thinking and remembering, too, our job is to plant a seed. And there might be seven more Christians who come into their life before they ever decide to follow Jesus. And you were just one part of the journey. The Holy Spirit is way bigger than us. That's the most freeing part of evangelism is like, I'm just part of the journey. Holy Spirit's doing the work. And there are other people in their life who will also be speaking. That's so good. I 
that is better just so I can be transparent. I've in, in my evangelism recently, I've actually been using like values and truth, like like hey, like I'll ask the question, where do you get like values from? Because everybody has them. Like, so where do you get them? Because there's somebody that we really love who's transgender, and I was I was just asking, hey, like what's right, what's wrong? Because they're they're what whatever. Um, but that's better. Like what you were doing was better in just asking asking some more of those questions, and and. I, we're we're about out of time, so I can't ask like all those deals. But where are some places? Uh, cause I know some people are impacted today. Where are some places that people can go uh, to continue to learn from you and jump off your shoulders? I know you said the podcast name earlier, but Verity. you kind of you kind of mm-hmm. sped by what, what what is it? Verity. Okay. Verity. Why yes. is it, what what's that mean? Verity means truth, and well, fun story. I love the name Verity. I think it's beautiful. And I asked my husband if we could name our child Verity, and he said no, he didn't like it. And so I named the podcast Verity. (laughs) So Verity means truth. And the podcast has almost 110 episodes at this point, and each one is very specific. So we have, you know, one about end times theology. We have one about baptism. We have one about women teaching. So there's all sorts of specific topics you can look at there. And they're also on our blog, FelicitaMasonheimer.com, which is where our shop is. And we have about a dozen books or more actually in our shop as well on different topics, different price points, eBooks, if you don't want to pay for shipping. And then on Instagram, um, I have a lot of free content there as well that dives into some of this stuff. Where can people find you on Instagram? They can find me Instagram.com slash Felicia Masonheimer or Every Woman a Theologian, which is our shop account. Yeah, one of the things I really do appreciate is the way that Felicia teaches is, hey, here's here's all of the sides to kind of a topic. You'll just pr- and say you're you have the Holy Spirit inside of you and God's called you to walk and you can make a decision like you're smart. You can think. And it's really that is not normally how people will present information. Mm-hmm. Um, it's usually, we, we like to skew things to our opinion, um, but I, I appreciate how you steward information well um, with humility and saying, here's, here's my opinion, here's what I think, but here are, here are the other arguments that are out there. And um, just really, it's just it's such an honor. We're really just really privileged mm-hmm. that you take time to spend time with us. I mean, personally, our family's been impacted, really encouraged by you. And um, we know there are several, like, there is be an untold impact. And so we can't wait to get to heaven and hear, like, how God has used you. You are just so intentional to glorify him. And uh, we're grateful that you took time to be with us today, Felicia. Thank you for having me. This was so much fun. Yep. So we want to encourage you guys to take this, go. But it, I, I would say that Felicia would say this is a waste of time. You can go on the website, and it says that what matters is the faith in motion. And so we want to encourage you to go out this week, take some of the stuff, and don't wait. Practice it today. If you're on your way to work, practice it today. Just ask some of those questions. Get uh, in the ask word. God for opportunity, yes. for boldness, for burden. So we have a mm-hmm. – even, even as educated as – the room is, as educated as uh, Felicia is, we have a gospel of obedience, not a gospel of knowledge. Um, and so they called the apostles um, untrained, ordinary men. And yes. yet here we are today. And so we're going to encourage you guys to go win your world this week. 
Um, I won't say by Felicia because that's just too on the nose, but I said it. All right, Felicia. You can say it. You're amazing. Have a great day.